0: In case you weren't with us last week, um, we started into the book of Colossians, and Paul writes to the church of Colossae. It's a, a small town in the midst of this huge Roman Empire. And we talked about how Rome was just this amazing empire that lasted about 1,500 years. And in chapter one, Paul gives thanks to God for the faith of the saints in Colossae and the love that they had for one another. Which sprang from incredible hope, certain hope, fruitful hope. So I thought we'd just read verses 3 through 8 in Colossians 1 just to review where we've been. So Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. Paul says this at verse 3 We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So this is the hope that all of us have as believers in Jesus. It's a hope that is not in this world. And if people put their hope in the world, they often end up miserable, or they end up focused on themselves and getting their own needs met. But we're different as believers because our hope is, is stored up in heaven. And so we live for God, and we live for His purposes. And that hope that we have strengthens our faith in God, and it, and it strengthens the love that we have for others. And so last week we mentioned how the Roman Empire had a lot of similarities to our country in our day. In our, in our day, the Internet has shrunk the world, but in the Roman Empire, all of the roads shrunk the world of that day. And so the Colossians found themselves living in a world of syncretism or a mixture of different beliefs, this melting pot of different cultures and beliefs, which I believe is very similar to the culture that you and I live in. And like our day, false teaching was available everywhere. And so if Christians are not discerning or aware the gospel can get watered down or changed or dismissed. But Paul is almost a thousand miles away, and so what can he do about it? Well, he can write a letter, which is what we're studying this morning, and he can pray. Which leads me to my main question this morning, and that is, If Paul were alive today and he were to pray for you, what would he pray? What would Paul pray for you this morning if he were here? I believe that what we're going to read in Colossians this morning is what Paul would indeed pray for you. Now, I know that Paul obviously doesn't know you. He's never met you. But that doesn't matter because Paul hadn't met the Colossians either. In fact, he had never been to Colossae before. But he gets this report from Epaphras that the church in Colossae is similar to the church in Firth. Now, the report didn't say that, but that's what I'm saying. He gets this report, and it sounds like the church in Firth because we have a faith and a love here that springs from our hope in Christ— And we also live in a culture with many different worldviews pressing in on each other. And they're pressing in on us to try to get us to conform to the world instead of being transformed by the gospel. And so because of these similarities, I believe that verses 9 through 13 are going to give us an example of what Paul would pray for you as a believer in Christ And for our church here in Firth. So let's read verses 9 through 13 and then we'll talk about the main idea that ties these verses together. Verse 9 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins now that's that's a mouthful and i got overwhelmed with all of the stuff in that paragraph until i studied it and i realized that there is one thread that carries through all of it it's all connected Um, Let's start in verse 9 and see what Paul would pray for you. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So what would Paul pray for you? Well, first we see that Paul would pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Paul prays that the Christians would be filled and so that means we, we must need to be filled, right? That must mean that we are not full, that we are not complete. Meaning that just because we know Jesus, our story is far from done. We need to be filled. And then later on, he says, growing in the knowledge of God. Now last week I mentioned uh, the decline of Christianity in the West right now. While in other parts of the world, the gospel is exploding. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons is that many in the West have said the sinner's prayer. They don't want to go to hell. They repeat some words that are given to them. They call themselves Christians without any kind of transformation or change taking place in their lives whatsoever. In other words, the gospel is planted in people's lives, which is great, but it doesn't grow. And so, we fail to communicate that the gospel is given to us so that we can grow and be transformed. I think we have made it clear that we're justified in Christ alone. We're saved by Christ alone, and that's good. But we may have failed in communicating or understanding that sanctification or becoming more and more like Christ is supposed to follow that and go with that. Now, it's fun uh, to have babies around. And we love having babies around. We celebrate uh, the new babies in our church. What a joy. I also have to say that those of us who have been parents and grandparents, we know that babies are not always pleasant or easy. Okay, I've got to be careful what I say here. But I think you'll understand. If you've been a parent or a grandparent, you'll understand what I'm saying here. Um, one person said, I didn't say this, but one person said, a baby is a digestive apparatus with a loud noise at one end and no responsibility at the other. Pretty harsh, but true. Babies are notoriously selfish and self centered. Immediately upon birth, they bear the imprint of the fall of Adam. Their whole world is centered around themselves. That's all they think about. That's all they know. And those who take care of them long for the day when they will begin to learn self-control or self-management. You know, to sleep all night. To become potty trained. To feed themselves. There we go. And, And you and I might not be thrilled with this analogy... But it's the same in the Christian life. The Scriptures often compare new Christians to babies. First Peter 2.2, for example, says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So like newborn babies starting out in life, new Christians are loved. They're welcomed. They're wanted. But they need special care. And though they show a great deal of promise and potential, everybody waits and hopes for them to grow up. And so what I'm saying is that we should not be satisfied or content with immaturity in our spiritual lives. And, and to put it really bluntly, 40-year-old men who drink out of baby bottles are not cute Okay? They're not. This is not the intention for their lives, for them to remain immature. I'm picking on the men today. Sorry, guys. But, but the point is for maturity. Paul prays and he writes in his letters that the believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and grow to know God and His nature more. This is Paul's desire. To see maturity and to see growth of the believers. And in his letters, you know, if you read Paul, you'll often see him talking about this. And then then he'll pull back and he'll say something like, I can't even talk to you about this. You know, you're supposed to be eating meat right now, but all you can handle is milk. Or he'll say something like, you know, you need to grow up first. There's no way that I can, can even talk to you about this right now. And those of us who have kids or those of us who have had kids, we understand this. Um, We we want them to mature. We want them to understand. But sometimes you have to pull back. You know, you can't expect a six-year-old to understand complex ethics, right? So you've got to give them what they can handle and just just pray that they will grow and mature. So Paul prays that God would fill the believers with the knowledge of his will, that they would be mature and be transformed. More and more. I think in the church, and I think as parents, we often focus on outward behavior. And I understand that. Because we want to see fruit. We want to see maturity. And it's good. It's good for us to have expectations. You know, we want people to be here in church on Sunday. We want them to be active in the church. We want them to be generous givers as well. It's good to expect those kinds of things. And Paul wants to see those kinds of marks of maturity as well. But he knows that those things grow out of a healthy relationship with God. That God has to fill us with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then the fruit or the outward behaviors grow out of that. And I think sometimes we get that turned around. We don't do good works so that God will transform us. We can't succeed by focusing on the outward behavior. It doesn't work. Let me compare it to uh, your lawn care right now. Um, Some of you have a lot of weeds in your yard right now. And so uh, you mow them down and your lawn looks really good. For a couple of days, right? But what happens? They grow back up. And so you, so they, they don't disappear. Because you've got to get to the root. You can't just focus on the surface action. It's like managing uh, your behaviors. You can try to manage it. You can mow it down a little bit, cover it. After a little while, though, you'll see that stuff come out again. So instead, we need to know who God is. We need to press in and figure out the nature and the character of God. And if we do that and we're looking to Him, He transforms us from one degree of glory to the next, which leads us then to bear fruit through good deeds. They're closely connected, but the outward behaviors don't lead to the inward transformation. It's the inward relationship that we have with God that transforms our external behaviors. Just kind of randomly this morning, I, I had devotions about the character of Gideon. And uh, what I was reading about Gideon is he was there was nothing special about him at all. In fact, he described himself as the runt of the litter. But what happened with Gideon? God appeared to him. God became real to him. And it changed his life. He didn't suddenly become perfect. He was very flawed as well. But he's a normal person with a relationship with God which transformed everything. Good example of that. Paul prays that you and I would grow in our knowledge of God and his will because then the outward fruit will come. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. So how are we transformed? By seeing and understanding the nature of God. By having this continual relationship with Him. Why does Paul pray that? Because he knows there will be results from that. Verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. So it all begins with a knowledge of God's will, a relationship with Him. And knowledge of God's will leads you to, Paul says, live a life worthy of the Lord, to seek to please Him in every way, And to bear fruit in every good work. That's the goal. And that's what Paul prays for the believers. That's what Paul would pray for us. Because that's something that only God can make happen. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can't just try harder. We need God. We need God to transform us. To seek our life and our maturity in Him. That's our purpose. And if we allow God to transform us and to teach us and to grow us, it will affect our behaviors. It can't help but affect our behaviors. So, outward behaviors are important, but let's not focus as much on that. But let us be focused on God and His desires and His will and all those other things will flow out of that. And so if Paul were here this morning, I believe this is what he would pray for you as a believer in Jesus. He prays it for the Colossians, and then he paints a beautiful picture of what it would look like. Because when believers are transformed by God and His will, he says they live a life worthy of the Lord, they seek to please Him in every way, and they bear fruit in every good work. What else does it look like? Well, let's continue. Look at the end of verse 10. He says, Growing in the knowledge of God, there it is again, our progressive growth as we know God and His will, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. So who provides the power and the energy here? God. It's good news. He strengthens us with His power, with His might. It's not about our natural ability. It's not about our effort. Let's read on. So that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Wow. This picture that Paul is painting, it just keeps getting better and better. He tells us what maturity is. And if you're like me and you're reading this, you know you don't have all of these things. And the people around you know you don't have all these things. But you want them. And you pursue them. These marks of maturity. What are they according to Paul? Well, first of all, he says great endurance. And the endurance described here means putting up with or bearing things. But it also means more than that. Um, it's not just a passive word. The endurance of a mature believer means not only the ability to bear things but the ability in bearing them to turn them into glory. It's a conquering endurance. It's the ability to deal triumphantly with anything that life can do to us. Some days I feel like I have that. Other days, no. And that, that's probably true for all of us. But we want that great endurance. Same with great patience. Uh, The Greek word translated patience is often translated as long-suffering. Its basic meaning is patience with people. And so um, this quality of heart and mind enables a person to bear with people who are unpleasant, malicious, and cruel, and at the same time not become bitter. So even though others may be unteachable or foolish, This type of patience endures without irritation or loss of love for those other people. A mature believer does not lose patience with people. Wow. I I need more of that. I want more of that. third mark of maturity given to us here is great joy. Our lives may be difficult, but a mature believer's life is not a grim struggle with events or people... It holds on to joy in any circumstance. Easy to be happy when things are going well. But the Christian joy is something that remains even when life is difficult. And this joy doesn't just magically fall on us. It comes from being filled with the knowledge of God and what He has done for you. And so my encouragement this morning for you as believers in Jesus is to fill up on God. Fill up on Him. Because if you fill up on God, you can't help but to be thankful. You can't help but to be joyful. And so our prayer is, Lord, make me victorious over every circumstance. Make me patient with every person. Continually give me joy, which no circumstance and no man will ever take from me. This is something very different than what the world offers. It makes no sense, but it's beautiful. The maturity of a believer. And so, friends, this morning, fill up on God and what He's done for you. And Paul gives us a short list in verses 12 through 14. If you need help with this, remembering God's goodness and His benefits, He puts them on full display in verses 12 through 14. He has made you qualified to share in His his inheritance. He has rescued you from Satan's dominion of darkness. He has brought you into His eternal kingdom. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven all of your sins. Consider what the Lord has done for you and what He's doing for you and what He will yet do for you. Fill up on Him and His goodness. And so this morning, as you and I think about maturity, I think it's important for us to think about what is it that you fill up on in your daily life? I woke up this
1: morning with a normal feeling for me. It felt like sadness, but more like hunger than anything else. The closest word for it is empty. Whatever the feeling was, I wanted it to go away. Within an hour of waking up, this feeling's usually gone. Coffee can do it, catching up on sports, and by the time I check my email, I'm good. At least I'm full for the present. The feeling, whatever it was, is gone. But quite easily, I slip back into the emptiness, if not the next hour, the next day. Technology gives me the quickest, most instantly gratifying fill. That's why I like social media. All I really need is one like on Instagram, and I'm golden. Facebook can do it too, as long as it's about me. And I look on Twitter to get my sarcasm fill for the day. It doesn't really take much, but it doesn't really last long either. If social media doesn't do it, music always fills me up, especially when I'm driving. I got my tunes, the open road, and I can listen to whatever I want. I rock the same songs over and over again. I was empty. Now I'm filled. I have millions of ways to fill up. I didn't even mention TV, movies, or beach vacations, alcohol, cars, home improvements, accolades at work. Whatever I want, I can have it. With the touch of a button or the drop of a hat, the world is at my fingertips. I can fill myself with whatever I want, cash pending. All I have to do is convince myself that it's good to eat and desirable for food. Then it's just a matter of plucking my choice fruit from the tree. No wonder I don't need God to be filled. I'm already full.
0: That that probably hit a a little too close to home for some of us. Um, But I believe if Paul were here, if he were with us this morning, he would pray for you the same thing that he prayed for the Colossians that God would fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He would pray that because as you fill up on God and His nature, you will live a life worthy of Him, you will seek to please Him in every way, and you will bear fruit in every good work. And in doing so, God will give you great endurance, great patience, and great joy. This is is what Paul would pray for you.